Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right. You guys ready? You sure? Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, actually, I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm not feeling too great about the sermon that I have. Um, 80% of it is uh, given some background and some, uh, uh, like, going through the text. And no matter how much I've tried this last week, trying to figure out how, to, how can I either condense this or make it, you know, there's just a big chunk of this that is like, okay, this is what's going on in the story. This is what's happening, okay? Um, I promise I'm going to have right in the middle there, and then at the end there's an application something practical, but in the meantime, I really hope that you guys can dig in to this passage. I'm hoping that that can happen, that you can kind of enter into the story. Um, I'm nervous that it's going to be tough to do. Uh, as a teacher as well, I'm always thinking, like, what can I do to make this, you know, uh, you know get you involved and, and, you know, help it be interactive so that we can, uh, you know, try to get, your, get the brain flowing. But uh, I just know that uh, there's sometimes there's, it's just kind of tough to do that, Okay. I also think that there's a, another challenge, and uh, the challenge, I was talking to Charity this last week, and we were talking about some of this background information and how some of it might be confusing. If you are new to Christianity, or even if you've been in Christianity or been to church for a long time, there's sometimes there's some things that I wonder if you actually know. This happens at school. Uh, I'll be teaching through geometry, and I'll be talking about something you know really complex, and I'm thinking... Man, I think they're getting this, but I'm not for sure. And then I start questioning one of the individual students about something, and I find out that there's this piece of information that is real basic that they missed way back, you know, a long time ago. And so the reason why this other stuff is complex is because there's something over here that they missed. Okay? So I want to take just a moment and kind of jump back here and just kind of lay out a, a, a real basic idea that I think some of you probably know. But honestly, I don't know if all of you know this. So I want to kind of jump back and just kind of lay out some groundwork, okay? So let's think for just a moment about the Jewish nation, the Israelites. Uh, when we think about Jewish religion, everything else. So uh, if you've been coming to Sunday school, you know we've been talking about the Israelites as they've left Egypt, the giving of the law. And I'm going to tell you right now, for the Jews, the giving of the law and keeping of the law was like huge, Okay. Without going into great detail, let's, let's just leave it at that. This was a huge part of everything that they believed, okay? Uh, so just for example's sake, um, I'm going to make this little section over here. Today, you guys are going to be my Jewish crowd, okay? You, you guys okay with that? Okay. I don't know. They're kind of looking at me like I'm weird, okay? Uh, so you guys are the Jews today, so you're the Israelites, okay? And let's say this is Israel over here. And the rest of you are my Gentiles, okay? Which is probably accurate for most of you. You're all Gentiles, okay? So uh, here we have our Jews, and here we have our Gentiles, okay? Now the Jews, as they're growing in their faith and understanding over generations and generations and generations, one of the keys that comes into their understanding is that there's this Savior that's coming, a Messiah, okay? Now they're hoping that the Messiah is going to come. And honestly, at this particular time in Paul's day, and this has been this way for hundreds of years, the Jews have been ruled by other empires. Okay? And currently, the Jew, does anybody know who the Jews are ruled by at the time that we're in, like Jesus' time and Paul's time 
Anybody know who they're being ruled by? Yeah, the Romans, right? So the Roman Empire. So the rest of you are going to represent the Roman Empire. You are also part of the Roman Empire, but I'm going to say reluctantly, okay? They don't want to be part of the Roman Empire. For a Jew, at the top, most important thing is the one true God. The Jews have become known across the entire empire as the unruly sector of the empire. In fact, the whole rest of the empire, there's been laws that have been passed that you have to worship certain gods. And one of the particular worship features was the worship of the emperor. Okay? In fact, I think I have a slide here. Let me pop over a slide. There we go. We got a nice emperor up there. Emperor worship was huge throughout the empire. In fact, if you've been with us through Acts, you know that there's been certain cities that have become known for their emperor worship. Okay? The Jews... They're not going to have any part of that. And there's been all kinds of rebellions and uprisings and everything else to where finally the Roman Empire said, fine, worship whoever. And they're going, the one true God. And so the Jews are going, okay. And so this has been kind of a, an aspect of this sector. If you're a Jew, in fact, it's kind of, if you were a Jew in any other part of the Roman Empire, so say some of these Jews had moved out to different places, and we've seen that, haven't we, in the book of Acts, when they were in Ephesus, when they were in all these other cities, right? They find a Jewish synagogue. Why was that allowed? Because the Roman Empire finally said, we can't make them stop. Okay, honestly, that's, that's as simple as it was. But the Jews... More and more, they were seeing things coming in and infiltrating their own society. So we had what we talked about earlier on in Acts. We have what is known as the Hellenistic Jews, Jews who were Greek-speaking and had adopted Greek ways, Gentile ways, Roman Empire ways, right? And so the Jews uh, that were still in Jerusalem and many Jews across the empire, they, were, they, they didn't like that, okay? I liken it to how... Um, you even see today, sometimes you'll see older people when some new thing comes in, they're like, I don't like any of that, right? And they get all worked up about it, okay? That happens still. But, but for the Jews, it, it was deeper than just style. I mean, it was their identity, who they were, okay? So when they had anything coming in that was not Jewish, they were like, whoa. In fact, at this particular time period in Paul's day, there was and I talked about this last week, there's this temperature in Israel and with Jews across the empire, but especially right in Jerusalem, where they were just, they were sick of it. They'd had enough of it. And there was a huge sector of people that were like, they, I mean, they were ready to be, in fact, it's not too long after this, in the year 70 AD, so not very long after this, that there's going to be a huge uprising and Jerusalem is destroyed the temple, the Romans finally say, we've had it, we've given you a chance, forget it. And they come in and they destroy the temple in 70 AD. I mean, this is where it's leading in history. So if you got an idea that this is not too long after this, this kind of stuff happens, it gives you an idea of what's going on in Jerusalem at this time, okay? So get, you got to enter into this and understand this is what's going on. Now, Christianity comes along, Jesus Okay, Jesus, where was he at? He was over here, right? A Jew. He, and this is where I think that some of you it, I might need a little bit of instruction to understand this. Jesus comes in. Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, we know that. He's the Messiah. 
Now, what the Jews didn't understand before the Messiah came is that the Messiah was going to fulfill all of the law. They didn't understand that. They thought the Messiah was going to come in and enforce the law. They thought he was going to come in and kick these Romans out, reestablish their nation, be their king, and, and boot these people out. So when Jesus came as the Messiah and the way that it unfolded, this is why many Jews rejected it because it didn't fit with what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do and supposed to be. The Messiah was so much more than what they ever imagined. And the Jews that understood that and believed that, they, they latched onto it. And they recognized there's something huge here. Jesus didn't just come to rescue this nation. He came to rescue the world from sin and reestablish our relationship to God. Okay? So, so Jesus comes in. So now what you have in Paul's day, so after Jesus has come, now you have the Jews amongst some of these Jews and, and, and then eventually even the Jews that were out in the rest of the empire, amongst these Jews, you have some of them who have believed in the Messiah, calling them Christians now, right? In Antioch, the Christians were first, right, they were first called Christians. Little Jesuses, little Christs. So now you've got this three different aspects. You've got the Jews who are like, no, Jesus isn't the Messiah, right? We want the law. The Messiah comes, he's going to enforce it. You've got some Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah and they're starting to get the bigger picture. And then have Paul come in and he begins telling them the reality of what's going on. So we talked about this a little bit last week. We've got this emperor worship going on. We've got a uh, these, this man named Felix, who's a procurator of Jerusalem, he's trying to squash Jewish rebellions with violence, right? So he's massacring Jews. We talked a little bit about that. And we're going to get into Acts chapter 21, verse 27. That's where we're going to jump right into this, this story, okay? So we've got all these things going on in the world. But here you have Paul, who has gone from here, right? He was one of them on their side, becoming a Christian, and then not only did he become a Christian, he started realizing that God's call was for the world. So what, did, what happened? He left Jerusalem and he went out and he was going all across the Roman Empire telling them about Jesus. And you see in his letters, he's talking about how these Gentiles are being grafted into God's, to, to, to true Jewishness. True Jewishness was being God's people. And so he's talking about, you're being adopted in to these Gentiles. You're being adopted into this. And these Jews over here are going, whoa, wait a minute. All these other people, you're, you're calling them Jews, so to speak? And it, Paul's gone out. And now here we are in this story where Paul has now, he's been out here, the Jews, when he's encountered Jews that are part of this group that are like, no, this is how it ought to be. They haven't responded well. And now Paul has actually come back, and this is where we were last week, he's come back into the city with a group, right, of Gentiles, and he marches into Jerusalem, I don't think meaning it for it to go this way. I think he's hoping that he's bringing a collection to help Jews who are suffering. And so he comes in and he marches into the city and he's got a band of Gentiles with him. How do you think these Jews are going to react? You think they're going to react good? Here, let's, let's, let's try to make it a little bit more relevant. Let's say, forget the Jew-Gentile thing for a moment. Let's say I was in some part of Illinois, little town, and no offense to rednecks, but let's say it's a nice big, I mean, 
and, and they got, you know, America, right? Love it. Okay? Now let's say, me, let's say I'm from that town. Now let's say I go out as an American, and I've, I've been out and I've traveled. And let's say I come back into this, my, my hometown, and I bring with me um, three guys from Afghanistan. Right? Now, these three guys, they, they're not, you know, Islamic or anything. None, none of that's a factor. Is it going to matter to these Americans over here? At that moment, it's not going to matter, right? They're going to be like, what are you doing? Bringing them in here. I mean, that's the same feeling that you might, that, does that help relate it a little bit better? Does that kind of paint the picture a little bit better? Okay, so here Paul comes in and he's got Romans, Gentiles, and he comes into Jerusalem, home turf. Now, Paul, in order to keep the peace, we talked about this last week as well, in order to keep the peace, Paul, when he came back into Jerusalem, after he talks to James, the elder of the church there, Paul goes through this whole rite of purification, adhering to the law. To try to let them know, and I'm going to tell you right now, this is where we're going with this. Try to let them know because his love for these people, he knew that the real problem had nothing to do with Jews and Gentiles. It had to do with the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and they missed it. And out of his love for them, he submits to going through all these different things to, to try to demonstrate his love, to let them know, I understand where you're at. I get it. And I'm not here to turn all of that over. I'm here to try to show you something different. So he submits to these things. He's going through this purification rite. And we get to verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed of this purification ceremony, this rite that he was doing, the Jews from Asia, where he had been ministering, so some of those Jews that he'd encountered out here, maybe even some of the same people, Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So, man, they get a mob. They see Paul and they grab him. And these Jews are crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. You see what's happening? They're going... This is the guy, we've been talking about him. He's been out there telling everybody about this and this and this. And, and he's been, man, he's telling everybody to abandon the law and all this other stuff. And he's, he just marched, he's in the temple right now. Help, grab him. And they do. Now, did Paul actually bring Greeks right into the temple? No, but here we have an explanation here. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. So Paul had been walking around the city with this guy Trophimus, an Ephesian. Um, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So he'd seen him with them outside the temple, so they just assumed he probably brought him into the temple as well. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Okay, so can you just imagine what's going on in this city? Riots, mob, all focused against this one guy, Paul. The city is stirred up. And they were seeking to kill him. Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So the government, 
right? The Roman government who's trying to manage these unruly Jews. They don't really know what's going on. All of a sudden, all of a sudden they hear all this confusion happening. And so they go, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Side note there, wow, this is what's happening to Paul. So this mob has brought, dragged him out of the temple and they're beating him. Can you just picture this? Paul, just being beaten, beaten, beaten. Probably would have died at this point if this hadn't happened. So the Romans come in, they find this guy being beaten. They don't know what's going on yet, but they, 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 they grab him. They stop beating him, they grab him. Then the tribune came up and arrested him, Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. So, I mean, they're trying to figure out that. I mean, they're trying to calm the city back down. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So he's arrested him and he's trying to... So picture these centurions, these Roman soldiers, right? The police, so to speak, have come. They grab Paul and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the crowd, like, they're yelling this and you're yelling this and they cannot figure out what's happening. They're like, take him into the barracks. So they take him into the barracks where they can try to get a... figure out what's happening. Now, pause. Blank screen. How would you respond if you were Paul? Now, let's be really honest here. Out of love, you came back to these, this city. You adhered to their rules to try to sh- demonstrate to them, I'm not doing all these things you're accusing me of. I'm just trying to help you see that Jesus is the Messiah. They responded this way. How would you respond at this point? Now, some of you are smiling. Has Paul actually done anything wrong up to this point? No. Would you tell that Roman centurion, I haven't done anything wrong? These people, I'm done with them. I don't know about you, but that's what I would do. Like, I I tried. I'm done with them. How about you? Let's be honest here. Would you start, I mean, now he's been beaten. So I imagine they're, you know, bruised, cut up, who knows what injuries he has. I picture him saying, I mean, I, me, I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be mad. I'd be, I'd be mad. Outnumbered like that. And did these people give him a chance to explain? Had he even brought a, a, a Greek into the temple? No. Has he been going out and telling Jews everywhere to just abandon the law? No, that's not. He's explaining how it was fulfilled. Did they give him a chance to explain that? No. Now, nobody has answered me yet. How would you respond? I would love to hear. Let's be honest for a minute. How would you respond? Now, I'm going to throw in there and just, we're going to see before the end of the story. Paul's actually a Roman citizen, and he's going to use that for a purpose later on. Would you have thrown that in there? I've got my rights. I've got my rights. You can't do this to me. I demand justice. I would have been wanting those people to be arrested. 
Oh, come on. Anybody? What would you do? <laughs> yeah? Anybody else? At least agree? Yeah, that's probably where I would have gone. Okay, okay. I'm going to use some of Paul's words to help you understand how he responds. So this is where we're getting into the application of what, what, what we can learn. And that's what really today I hope that you do. I hope you learn something from Paul. After I read this today and this week, um, even though Jesus is my ultimate hero, I got to be honest, Paul, man, my hero. This guy, amazing. Let me read some words of Paul's. I'm going to read part of it, and then I'll put some up there for you. 1 Corinthians 13, you probably know this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that, as to remove mountains, don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned. Now, I read that and I think, if you've given up everything and you've given up yourself to be burned, but it isn't that love itself. But notice what he says. If I did all that, but I didn't have love, it wasn't out of love. I gain nothing. And then, even though Paul has quite often said that he's not an eloquent speaker. I think he's a great writer, and he writes this. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, love, now I know you know this, but just let yourself think about this played out in what Paul's doing right now, okay? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, before I finish this, remember love. Christ said, not just love your neighbor, but there is a time where he also said, love your enemies, right? Paul, I think, before I finish reading this, Paul, and I know this because he's written about this, Paul loves the Jews. Not just the ones who have understood that Jesus is the Messiah, but the ones who are stuck and obstinate and aren't listening and full of themselves and arrogant and proud, he still loves them. I think uh, quite often our love ends when someone else's hatred gets to be a little bit too much. That doesn't happen with Paul. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing and it's interesting, I never thought about this before until this morning, I was getting my slide ready. And it says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices, you'd expect it to say, in right doing. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, that's true, but what love does rejoice in is not just making sure everybody does what's right, but love rejoices in the truth. 
Love bears all things. Believes all things. This one is tough. Hopes. Would you be hopeful as they were beating you, possibly kicking you? I don't know if they had sticks. Would you, would you be hopeful in that moment for the Jews right then and there? Once again, try to be honest here. Would you be hopeful that there's a chance for them? I wouldn't. And love endures all things. I think Paul is living out things that he taught to people in this moment. So I want you to remember as we continue reading on, let this one start to stand, the love of Paul. Paul loved people. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Does that sound familiar to you? Where have we heard a Jewish crowd in Jerusalem shouting away with him before? Where have we heard that? Jesus' crucifixion, right? Away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? I mentioned this last week. There's historical records of this Egyptian Jew who tried to lead a revolt. And so the, I mean, you can tell that these Roman soldiers, they have no idea what's going on. I thought maybe you were that, that guy. You're not that guy? No, we're not, I'm not that guy. And he, he's like surprised that he can speak Greek, Greek, and I think probably very fluently. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. Tarsus was a university city. A citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. What? You think Paul has hope still? And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, I have no idea why, that had to have been the Spirit of God. He addressed them in the Hebrew language. So he knows Greek and he's speaking, but to the Jews... Again, the humility, the love. And I think that Paul wants, to know, wants them to know, I understand you. I know who you are. I get it. And he says, and once again, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, he just got beat up. Are you going to call those same people, are you going to refer to them this way? <laughs> Brothers and fathers. Hear the defense that I now make before you. That word defense, the Greek word there is apologia. That's where we get this in Christianity. We call it apologetics. We're making a defense of the gospel. That's that word right there. Hear the defense I now make before you. So he says, let me explain myself. Let me make a defense for, for who I am and what I've been doing. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. 
So just picture this. Did you hear a pin drop, I think, is the expression? I think that in the middle of this, the love of Paul, we see displayed again what I talked about last week, the humility of Paul. To address them in their language, to call them brothers and fathers, to say, can I now, here now, and he's asking, here now the defense. They could have said no right away, but he, he wants to give them the opportunity. Now we begin his defense, his speech. I am a Jew. I identify with you. Born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, they would have recognized that. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He recognizes that this energy that they're exhibiting, he attributes it to a, a zealousness or an energy for God. He doesn't say, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. You idiots, what's wrong? I mean, that's what I would have wanted to do. I recognize that you're, this is born out of zealousness for God. Now, let me ask you, before I continue on with his speech, why do you think he could understand that aggression? Does anybody know? Why would Paul understand that level of aggression against Christianity? Yeah. He'd been there. He had been doing this. Right? He had been there. In fact, that's exactly where he goes next. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. He calls them on the way. He said, they can bear witness that I was doing what you're doing, but even to a bigger degree. I was going out, I was getting men and women both, and I was putting them to death. He says, from them, the, the, the elders, he said, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I get where you guys, I, you know what he's doing right now? He's going, I understand where you're coming from. I've been where you are. I can see through your eyes. I understand. Talk about love and Humility willingly in front of everyone say, I've been where you are. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, this is where we venture into the honesty of Paul. I don't know about you, if I had a crowd that was already reluctant to talk about the things of Jesus, I might have left this part of the story out. I might have tried to explain to them how I came to Jesus in a different way. But Paul is willing to be honest, go out on a limb. So I ask you again, would you be willing to be this honest about your salvation experience? I hope so. I think most of you would be. Paul's willing in front of this crowd to be completely honest. So I answered, who are you, Lord? To this voice that's speaking to me. And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers, he's still connecting, he wants them to see, right? This isn't something different. This is the God of our fathers. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, a name for the Messiah, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I have returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Which is true. I think Paul's telling them this to let, him, let them know. He goes, I know that even in coming to you, many of you are not going to believe this testament. I'm trying to be honest with you and share with you the truth and be, bear witness to this and even calling other witnesses to the stand. Ask the elders, ask the priests. This is the way it was. And I said, Lord, they themselves know. And I think he's debating with God. Surely, they will know that since I was where they are, but now I've changed my mind, surely they'll know this. Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go. Now they're with him so far, aren't they? And so then Paul says, God says, go from the temple. Remember, he said he was getting this message in the temple. Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, I wonder in my head if some of the Jews, while they're listening to this, might be recognizing, wow, Paul was, he was, that's true, he was one of us. And he was, like, what would make a person switch Right? What, what in the world? And so Paul's laid it out. What made me switch was something supernatural. God showed up. Bright light blinded me. I couldn't see. I had to get healed. I mean, that's significant. When I came back to Jerusalem, I wanted to let all of you know to, to testify to this. And God came and told me, he said, they're not going to believe you. They're not going to believe the testimony. And I, I told God, I said, Surely they know that I've been where they are. Surely they're going to recognize that this drastic change must mean that this is real. But then God told me, he said, I want you to instead go to the Gentiles. Now, I don't know if you see this coming, but if you know what's going on, you may have recognized this was happening, getting ready to happen. Up to this word, they listened to him. So they're almost there. They're almost with like, well, but as soon as he says, God wanted me to go to the Gentiles, 
Stop. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. I mean, like, we're with you so far, but it, you're telling us that God loves them too. And God isn't keeping us as the priority. Forget it, Paul. Which is so sad because the truth is Jesus was the Messiah. The truth is that they should have been, in fact, the, the real truth is, as a Jewish nation, God had called them to be a testimony to him all along. And they had rejected, they, had, they hadn't done that. What a sad situation this is. So far, we've seen the love of Paul, the humility of Paul, and the honesty of Paul. And he's demonstrated this all towards them, and this is how they respond. Now, maybe you might have been okay up to this point, but now, after your defense that you've made, when they respond like this, how would you respond at this point? Even if you could have pressed through after the beating and given him one more chance with hope, how would you respond now when they go, forget it, away with him? Would you have said, okay, fine. I'm out of here. And as they were shouting and throwing, now, and picture these people. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and fling, I mean, this is ridiculous, to be honest with you. They are so mad. They're like throwing their coats on the ground and flinging dust into the air. You just picture them like grabbing dirt and going, oh, away with him. I mean, what? Weird, first of all. But I mean, but we've seen babies do this, haven't we? Have you seen the little ones like they throw in a fit, a tantrum? That's what's happening here. Away with him. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against it. They're still not getting it. They're like, well, take him over, have him flogged, right? Beaten with a whip. So far, Paul has never shied away from a beating up to this point. But I want to bring in one last illustration here. One last thing, the motivation of Paul. Paul, I believe at this moment, though is not going to seek to protect himself. That's not what it's about. He's going to play a card, okay? He's going to play the citizenship card in just a moment. But it's not, I don't believe at all, it's not to, for self-preservation. It's not about rights. It's not about anything else. Paul has one simple, true motivation. Bring the gospel to as many people as I can. Paul has just been to Jerusalem. He's made a defense. He still loves them. But I think Paul, at this moment, when they said this and they rejected him, I think Paul's bullseye, Paul's focus, suddenly became Rome, the other great city in the empire, the capital of the empire. And I think Paul switched gears at this moment and said, I've got my sights set on Rome. He'd talked about wanting to go there already. But I think it's at this moment he said, Rome, how can I get there? So listen to what happens. When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, so imagine he's getting ready to get beat, calm as ever, Paul, um, getting ready to be flogged, and he just, he just asks the question. See, he's playing this card, right? He asks the question, is, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? By the way, it's not lawful to do that. You can get a lot of trouble for that, okay? So this Roman centurion, he's just, you know, one of the down the rung here and he's get, got them tied up and he's getting ready to, you know, beat him. And Paul goes, is it okay for you? I mean, is it, 
like, you do that, you beat Roman citizens here, is that how this works? And the guy's like, uh, <laughs> no. In fact, when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, uh, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, so the tribune comes over, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. And Paul's still imagining strapped up here, right? The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. You could do that in those days. Paul said, um, I'm actually one by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The tribune also was afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him up. He had done this thing to him, had bound him up, broken the laws. But here's the thing. Paul had his sights set on Rome. I think that Paul knew this is a free ticket to Rome. If I do this, I might be able to do this, I might be able to do this. But Paul's motivation is spread the gospel to as many people as possible. Now, that was a lot, wasn't it? Is that a lot of storytelling going through all this? I'm sorry. It had to be said. I hope that you walk away from this with the same thoughts that I did. Paul, if, if there's people that you want to set up as like a hero I want to be like, it, I mean, I was kind of like already getting to that point where Paul was, but this, this story did it for me. Paul's my hero. I, I'd love to be like Paul. To have such a love for people, a humility, to put, them, put himself under, you know, those words, I think of those words that he had, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. What a, what a central focus to have. And I hope that you can walk away from this, this story with some of the same thoughts that I had. Man, I want to be like Paul. It, it might change the way you go out and walk around this world in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, because it might switch something in your head. To, instead of saying, what about me? Starting to look at every situation as opportunity to how can I spread the gospel? Whether it's because someone is beating you, whether literally, physically, like Paul's case, or maybe it's not like that. Most of us don't have that happen on a regular basis. I feel like that happened to Paul quite a bit. But for some of us, it's verbal. You just got those people in your life. Maybe there's some people in your life like Paul had. The Sorry, guys. The obstinate, stuck in their ways Jews, right? The ones that were unwilling to, to really listen to the whole story. Anybody, have, anybody know anybody like that in your life? You want to talk to them about Jesus, but man, you even bring it up and they're ready to throw you. I mean, if they could, they'd probably throw you on the ground and start kicking you. Anybody have anybody like that? Yeah? I hope that Paul's an inspiration for you to know how to respond in love. Willing again to try. Willing again to say. Willing again to, to open yourself up to potential harm. Are you willing to go that distance like Paul was? I hope so. Um, I'm going to wrap up, and we're going to wrap up with communion. 
Um, before the guys come up, if you want to go ahead to the piano, you can. Um, before the guys come up, um, something that we've been doing, and I don't want to lose what we've been talking about with Paul as I shift gears into this, but one of the things that we've been doing is trying to do this uh, on a weekly basis instead of just every once, especially leading into Christmas. Uh, that first century church, they would gather together and see, I'm just picturing Paul in my head now, you know. Paul, I, Paul would go into cities and say they would get together to break bread. And this, was, this became central to what they did. And so I, I think it's interesting to think, making this central to what we're doing. Because see, I can tell you all this stuff about Paul. You can go out and go, yeah, I want to be loving. I want to be, you know. You're never going to get there unless what this represents becomes central in your head. Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross for my sin. It was real. He suffered. He died. He was crucified. I, th I think that it's an easy jump to understand that that's how Paul was able to go through this thing at Jerusalem. In fact, I would not be shocked at all to think that Paul was even rejoicing, because we see that with all different times this happens with these apostles, rejoicing in their suffering because... Can you imagine being hauled away and having a crowd shout away with him? I mean, if you've latched onto Jesus the way Paul has, you're not going, oh no, this is scary. You're going, I can't believe I've been counted worthy to have the same kinds of things happen to me that happened to Jesus. We see Peter doing similar things in his life. When they, the first time they were ever beaten, they walked away rejoicing, saying, I can't believe we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We can't get to that place by willpower. You can't, you can't be in here today and go, all right, I'm going to be a better Christian this week. Right? If you've lived long enough, does that work? Does willpower make you a better Christian? No. It's the Spirit of God. It's the truth. Of, so when we take this and and we're, we're partaking, we're remembering Jesus, we're, we're praying and we're hoping, and I, this is what you need to do today. You're hoping and you're praying, you're saying, Lord, as I take this bread, I know it's, not, I know it's just bread, but Lord, let me remember Jesus, and I hope in the remembering that your spirit is poured out on me in such a way to empower me to embrace Christ. And when we take that cup and we take it, we know it's just grape juice, right? But we're taking that cup and we think, Lord, let me really remember in the depths of my being. Help me to remember. And Lord, let your spirit be poured out on me so that this is meaningful. I know it's just this stuff, but Lord, let it be meaningful so that when I leave here today, I know I can't be a Paul. I don't have it in me. But by your spirit, I believe you can work in me to bring me to that place. By your spirit, I believe you can work in me to bring me to that place. So we're going to close with this because I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that even for myself, because I, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I read, I, I do the same thing. It's not like I'm up here going, yeah, I'm, I'm a Paul and I hope these guys can't be, I'm not doing that at all. I'm going, man, I want, I want to be a Paul. I want to be like that. And I don't have it in me. I'm not like that. But I, I believe that by the power of the Spirit of God, anybody, any one of you can be like Paul by the power of the Spirit of God working in your life.